Um, welcome, Tony, and thanks so much for coming in today to chat with us. Thanks, Michael. You're welcome. So, Tony, what does it mean to be in a relationship? Well, hmm. for me, a relationship is where I bring my completeness to another and I experience the completeness of the other. Very few people do that. We normally bring our emptiness to another and we look for them to, to, to make us happy. I mean, the great, <clears throat> there are two great illusions. One is that we all came from happy families. The reality is our mums and dads did their best, but they had their baggage unconsciously. And what is unconscious in the parent is transmitted to the child, no matter how well-intentioned the parent is. And the child's response may remain a continual block to a fuller life, unless at some point in his adulthood he becomes conscious. And really, what makes for good adult relationships is consciousness. Most of us operate unconsciously. And so you can only do what you know. What you don't know continues to influence your relationships in spite of you. So you tend to attract somebody into your life that actually represents exactly what you need to see in yourself and vice versa. It's quite an amazing phenomenon, right? Um, And then in other ways, what you don't know tries to break through to you maybe in your dreams and very often even in friendships, the friendships that you attract into your life. It's like... um, that in my life as a child, I learned to be the carer. My mother was an invalid. And that was my way of getting an identity and getting a visibility. Very clever, right? But of course, as, a, as an adult, I continued to do that unconsciously until at some point the penny dropped for me. I do everything for everybody, but do nothing for myself. And so I t- attracted a lot of people into my life who needed me to do things for them. And that was, that was the mirror for me all of those years. What I was doing for them is what I need to do for myself. And what I learned then as a therapist, I won't do things for you. I'll help you to do them for yourself. But you, if you think, you know, that, for example, in America, 60% of uh, marriages break down. 80% of second marriages break down. And why is that? Right? <laughs> because... You haven't reflected, you haven't examined, and Aristotle put it so well thousands of years ago, a life unexamined is a life not lived. Now I put that more positively. A life examined is a life lived. And the best time to examine your life is when you're in conflict. You know, if I can't stand the sight of somebody, it's because I can't stand the sight of myself. If I can't listen to what that person is saying, I'm not listening to myself. And conflict invites a deepening of your relationship with yourself. And most people think that happiness lies there. The second illusion is marriage is going to make you happy. <laughs> now, what will make you happy, it is my responsibility to find that relationship with myself and from that relationship with myself, bring that to another. It is not another person's job to make me happy. If I, if, if I make you responsible for my happiness, then it's a codependent relationship. And codependency squeezes the lifeblood out of a relationship. What, what is the purpose of a relationship? You know, I, I often wondered myself at one point that, because uh, I struggled a lot, and I was in monastery for seven years and was very depressed when I came out and suicidal and hated the sight of myself and was very weary and, and, and was a loner for a long time. And then I had my breakthroughs and then I began to study psychology. I taught primary and secondary school as well. But then I went on to do psychology eight years and slowly but surely I began to recognize the complexes I had. 
And you know, we very often go into the profession, you know, that you most need to find the answers. Now, I'm not going to ask you why you're doing radio, right? <laughs> <laughs> but we might go there. Yeah, 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 a bit frankly, yeah. <laughs> um, and so when I then began to realise that it is my occupying my own individuality, my nurturing and caring of myself, my listening of myself, my talking with myself, my belief and encouragement of myself is what I need to do. That's my responsibility. That's adulthood. See, many people are in adult years, but they're not in adulthood. I often say that, right, that families are for children, adulthood is for adults. But you see, unconsciously, many of us stay stuck in the pain of childhood and teenage years and don't come into consciousness about how we're still looking outside ourselves to find happiness rather than inside of ourselves. The child... Very, very wisely, I call her a mature dependence, needs to find it outside because they're dependent on the parents. And it's, 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 it's a mature dependence. But when the parents, our teachers, are not able to be there for the child, then the child has to then go into hiding and begin to maybe stop reaching out or scream to get attention. And they may continue to do that right up to the point of death if they don't become conscious. And how do we bring about consciousness? Now, to answer your question, the relationship, and come back to that question then. When I really began to come into relationship with myself and began to find my own independence and my own solidity and my own separateness and my own independence, the question did arise that when you, well, should, why do I need anybody else now? Should I have myself? But there's, there's that lovely distinction between aloneness and loneliness. Aloneness means all oneness. And all oneness with myself is a psychological and spiritual um, need that we have. Loneliness is a social phenomenon, and I love the company of another. And so, when I seek out the company of another and sit with them and and you know experience their individuality and their uniqueness and their understandings and their differences, I walk away feeling fuller afterwards. But the difference is, if I'm comfortable with my aloneness, I'm not desperate for the company of another. If I'm not comfortable with my own aloneness, I'm desperate for the company of another, and that becomes the codependence. And many people cling in relationships, don't they? Can't do without each other, right? I often have that in um, when people come to me for marital co- therapy, right? This, they'll tell me about when they met. Oh my God, <laughs> you know, they couldn't go to sleep without sending little, each other's little texts or the last little phone call, right? Five years later, they they're sitting in front of me. I can't stand the sight of him, right? and not having any consciousness that you haven't found a sight of yourself. I'm finishing a new book at the moment, actually, called The Power of Relationships Interrupted, and one of the chapters in the book, did you get to meet yourself before you met me? It's a very important question. And it's our most important responsibility, whether we're parents or teachers or politicians or managers or leaders or radio presenters, right? Our most important responsibility, Alice Socrates, is to get to know ourselves. Allah Christ is to love ourselves. Allah Buddha, you can travel the entire world and not find anybody more deserving of love than yourself. Allah, many psychological people, right, uh, like Winnicott and Frank Blake, in other words, your most important quest is to find your relationship with yourself. Yeah. But I love the company of another. I, I'd never want to lose that, right? But I'm not dependent on it anymore. And that's the difference. Yeah, I, I really like that, Tony. Oh, thank Thanks you. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank and like you, you say in your book, like, a relationship, 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 yes. that's the name of the book, Tony, but that we're always in a relationship. 
like from the moment of conception to the final moment of death. That's like, true. Like, That's true. Oh, what do you mean by this? Well, I, I, the notion of the book relationship, 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 of course, came from the notion location, location, location. <laughs> um, and relationship, relationship, relationship means there are always three relationships. You, you take you and I here. I have my relationship with myself. You have your relationship with yourself, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a relationship between us. And the three relationships need to be examined. Now, when people come to me with couple conflict, they think it's the relationship with them, with, between them is, is the problem. And what I gently bring them to see, no, it's what each of you brought to the relationship is, needs to be examined. As you examine your own life and come into the, a fuller relationship with yourself, you automatically see your partner differently because you're seeing your, yourself differently and vice versa than for the other person. As they then examine their own individual relationships, the couple of relationship changes, and that's the three relationships. Same with a parent and a child, right? Or a teacher and a student, or a manager and an employee. There are all these three relationships present. Yeah, that's great. And like, I suppose we hear a lot about healthy and authentic relationships. Like, what does that mean? It stops us from being in one as well. Like, do we stop ourselves, or, or what yeah, happens? We do it unconsciously. Fear dominates our lives, right? And the most common fear of all is the fear of what other people think, isn't it? The fear of failure. And ironically, the fear of success as well. Many people go for the average. You know, some people will, you know, the man that says to me, Tony, I'm your average man. I'd say, oh, my God, how ingenious that is. What a genius you are. Because when you go for the average, you eliminate failure, you eliminate success, and you drop every people's expectations. And you now reduce the threats of criticism or judgment or failure. Quite amazing. So when fear dominates our lives, then we bring that fear into a relationship. And it really affects the relationship then. So... If I have a fear of losing you, well, I won't assert my truth. Like you said, being authentic and being real. If I have a fear of losing you, I'm dependent on you, I, I, I want to stay with you, I don't want to lose you, I will then try to appease you, I will try to please you, you know, I won't rock the boat, I won't tell you exactly what I'm feeling or what my needs are because I'm afraid of losing you. And that's so common. And then you get the same phenomenon, right? If you have a dominant person in a relationship, you do what I tell you, you do... You go where I say, and you put the colours in the wall, what I want to put on, and you, you live your life for me, basically. That, that, the man or woman who does that, right, is terrified of losing as well. They're trying to control their partner unconsciously to make sure they never lose them. And I get some people, you know, who are very frightened of losing their partners. They'll possess them, they'll check their phones, they'll check their emails, they'll follow them, right, because they're so terrified. And if you're terrified of losing your partner, your partner, who, you, who have you lost? Yourself. Yourself. And there it is out in front of you for years. What you, were, what you wanted to hold on to there, your partner, was what, is, is what you needed to do for yourself. So the answer is always lying out there in front of you. But you won't see it unless you find a relationship where there's some safety. And once there's some safety, you feel then some... It's like a bridge. Most of us build walls. Very few of us have bridges between us. But a bridge creates the safety for me to examine my life and slowly but surely I begin to see what I'm looking for from my partner is what I need to find in myself or what I want my child to be is what I need to be myself how many parents project so much things on the children I, I mean I work with a lot of teenagers who are terrified of failure and they have to be the best they have to be on top of the pedestal but they're terrified and they're falling from the pedestal and we've seen that with sports people very much haven't we so um being authentic and being real is probably the hardest thing for us to do. You know that saying, the truth sets you free, 
Now, I have a little addendum to do to, to that. The truth sets you free, but it can also get you shot, can't it? It can really. So, um, and so what we need to do is try and create safety. The, the French philosopher, um, I remember his name, doesn't matter, uh, Rousseau, there is no greater wisdom than human kindness. And when you show human kindness, people begin to come out from behind their walls. But if, if it's threat that's there, or if I'm scared of you being critical or judgmental of me, or you might leave me, I will stay behind my wall and I will not come out. You mentioned your book as well, that you know, there's a creative purpose to conflict in a relationship. Yeah, yeah. Like, tell me about this, like, how can we resolve the conflict in a relationship? Yeah. I mean, that all, de- all walls that we've built, all defences, if I'm possessive of you, right, that's a defence. Now, that was created in order that if I didn't cling to my mother or cling to my father, um, I was terrified that they wouldn't be there for me. And so I bring that into my adult relationship. Inevitably then, in the relationship with my partner, my possessiveness is going to create conflict. The purpose of the conflict now is to try and create an awakening that the possess- your possessiveness of your partner was creative way for you to f- find some security as a child, but as an adult, you need to move from childhood to adulthood, you need to possess yourself. And it's out there, your possessiveness of your, of your partner is to mirror back, will you please learn to possess yourself? Or if you're very controlling of your partner, will you please learn to control your own life? Or if you do everything for your partner, will you please learn to do everything for yourself and support others to do everything for themselves? I, I'm always amused by the story. I tell this story, a lot of my listeners will know this one, but the mother who rang me up and she said, is that Dr. Humphrey? She said, this is me. Are you the man who writes the books? I'm the man who writes the books, right? Now, doctor, I've got a situation here. I've got a 30-year-old up in the bed, and I was thinking, how lucky. <laughs> I've got a 30 year old up in the bed and he won't get out of the bed for me and he won't do any work and he won't do any course and he comes in drunk most nights and he messes the place my heart is scalded and I said missus that's tough not unusual I said but it's tough just by any chance now missus just by any chance at all did you mollycoddle him (laughs) as your doctor didn't I do everything for him and I said yes but quite unwittingly kept him totally helpless because if you do everything for a child, you do it with good intention. But the good intention actually boomerangs on you because if I do everything for a child, I don't help them to learn to do anything for themselves. And they come into adulthood and they don't know how to even boil an egg. So I said to her, Mrs., would you come to see me yourself? <laughs> and she said, listen, doctor, I'm not the one up in the bed. But I said, Mrs., if I don't help you to separate out from your son to find your own life rather than living your life through your son. It's going to be very hard for your son to come down the stairs to you tomorrow morning and say, Mother, stop doing things for me. Please stop. Because if he comes down in the morning and he says that, what will she say? Give a guess. Stop telling me what to do. Or yeah, the son will come down and say that. You know, stop. Or she will say that. Back exactly, to him. yeah. I know what she more likely will say. Will you go up there to bed and I'll bring you up a cup of tea? That's what she's more likely to say. Because somehow, remember that unconsciously she can't live without her son. And that's, that's the danger there. And he mm-hmm. can't live without her now. And what we have is a very enmeshed relationship. You can get that between mother and son. You can get it between lover and lover, friend and friend, right? You know, husband and wife, manager and employee. Even you can get that kind of enmeshment, right? 
And unless <clears throat> they separate out, separateness is the basis for togetherness. They will live a very traumatic, conflictual, unlived life. You know, the young, the Swiss psychoanalyst puts it very well. He says, possibly the greatest psychic effect on children is the life parents have not lived. Now, I would add to that. Possibly the greatest psychic effect on children is not only the unlived life of parents, but the unlived lives of teachers, or grandparents, or other adults that influence them, or sports trainers who think that winning is more important than relationship. Whether you're in a classroom, whether you're in a home, whether you're in a marriage, whether you're in a workplace, the, the most important thing is relationship. And if relationship is a, of a nature that is empowering, unconditional, uh, believing in the person, in, um, kind, caring, supportive, understanding, gentle, compassionate, people thrive and the productivity will go way up. And they begin to recognise that now in the corporate world and the new line now in the corporate world, soft is the new hard stuff. Because it's the hardest thing for men to do is to go to operate from that heart place rather than from the head. And a balanced relationship or a mature relationship where I, I operate from both head and heart because we are emotional and we are intellectual and we need to operate from both places. Many men as small children learn to bottle up their feelings, to bury their feelings. And, and somehow then, when many, many women will say to me about men, I never know what he's feeling. And my response, he doesn't know either because he has repressed it. But if, if you are gentle and kind and are patient, he will actually gradually come into his feelings. Hmm. And like, I know, like, Tony, a lot of religions can engage in like, defensive responses such as like, aggression and manipulation. Yeah. Bullying, shyness, yeah. control, and submission. Like, like oh, why does this happen? Like, and, and is, there, is there a solution? Yeah, there's always a solution. Yeah, it's very important to see that if I bully, if I'm shy, if I'm timid, uh, what's the, if I'm manipulative, take those four out. They all, they're all defences. They're not out to hurt people. They're out to protect oneself from hurt. So if I bully you, I bully you to make sure that you don't criticise me, or so because I'm a fear of your judgment. If I'm all shy, right? I fight shy of you because, again, I'm fearful of your judgment of me or your criticism of me or that you may not like me. Um, if I manipulate you, how is it I can't be authentic and say directly what I need? Because I'm really fearful that I'm not good enough for you to meet my needs, so I manipulate you. And, and, and aggression um, is, again, it's a controlling, isn't it? And uh, aggression then hides, it masks, right? It masks a, a huge insecurity, because when I'm secure, when I'm solid, when you know, when I occupy my own individuality, when I truly believe and love myself, I don't show any aggression at all. Why would I need to? Because I don't need to control anybody. Because I'm in control of myself. So all the time we spill the beans. We spill the beans on where we are. If I'm kind and caring and solid, separate, independent, I show, you know, I have a good relationship with myself. If I'm aggressive, manipulative, controlling, then I'm showing you how small I feel with inside of myself. And I don't even realize I'm, I'm doing that. But I, I think I'm masking it. But the person who's more conscious will see this person's aggression is, is masking a huge insecurity. The resolution is for the person to come into consciousness. And, and it can only come into consciousness when he finds a safe relationship 
because what drives us into unconsciousness, into our walls, behind our walls, is threat. And I always say that, you know, that in childhood we learn to survive. In adulthood, in adulthood we need to thrive. But you can only thrive as you come into consciousness. Um, yeah, just something went through my mind there about somebody that... Yes, I was thinking of working with a young man recently, and he's come through quite a very difficult home circumstances, very difficult. And he, he feels nothing about himself. And I was saying to him, but you're my hero. Because you, you have managed to survive, you know, aggression and passivity and violence and huge neglect. And, and the way you survived, you know, um, tr- you know, through being aggressive yourself and through being kind of, you know, taking drugs and alcohol to soothe the pain. I'm so impressed, right? Because, you know, you were in a war zone and you found ways to survive. But now I want to help you to thrive. That you don't have to be battling all the time, because as you as you find relationship with yourself, you're not going to be dependent on on relationships within the family, and so you fly the nest and you come home to yourself. Mm. And you know, at times in relationship and in society, Tony, there can be a taboo or even a ban on emotional expression. Like, what's the reason for that? Like, well, it it's. I mean, for men, it was you're going to be a sissy if you cry or show fear, right? Um, Women are more comfortable with expressing... uh, They'll cry and get upset. They're not very good at expressing anger, though. Um, They they tend to bottle up their anger. And they tend to be a lot more feelingful for others, but very often don't show enough feeling for themselves. And men, men then bottle their feelings. And, you know, no wonder they use alcohol. They bottle up, right? Um, and we've seen that now, you know, with what's coming out, you know, with a lot of sports stars like Conor Cusack and the rugby star and other people who had, you know, came out about their depression and how they began to realise in therapy that depression was about my fear of giving expression to what I really felt. Fear, sadness, upset, rejection, abandonment. And men learned as small children... If I express any of those feelings, I'll be criticised, I'll be laughed at, I'll be called a sissy. And they cleverly bottled up their feelings. But it's great now to see men coming into consciousness and be beginning to express what is laying hidden. There's a lovely poem that says, please hear what I'm not saying. That's very important. And I'd like to add a line to that. Also, please see what I'm not doing. If you take the toddler... you look. <laughs> The toddler has it all. He's naturally curious. Oh, my God, he's so much energy. He's spontaneous. He's fearless. He's a daredevil. He's expressive of feelings. He's receptive to feelings. Um, he's adventurous. Amazing qualities, right? And when you ask adults, how many of those qualities do you still have? Very, very few people have them. They had to hide them away in the face of the adults who had also hid away theirs. And when defence meets... A child's openness. The child needs to go into defence to survive. If the children's spontaneity and expressiveness was met with spontaneity and expressiveness on the part of adults, the child would automatically keep it. So we're always creative. We are never... There is no wrong. Every human behaviour has a meaning. Every human behaviour is creative. And therefore, I never see people as having a problem. I see them as, as having creative ways of surviving. And then when they find the safety... 
using the same creativity and intelligence, they begin to thrive, to go from unconsciousness to consciousness, to go from dependence to independence, to go from surviving to thriving. Fantastic, Tony. And like you say in your book that in all relationships, your responsibility is to know yourself. Yes. Yeah. Can you tell me a bit more about this, Tony? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it's like the, like a, I was doing um, a retreat in Killarney over the weekend. It was a three-day one. And the I named the retreat, A Life Examined is a Life Lived. And... What I did, and I wanted people to begin to examine their lives, because, you see, most of us won't do it unless we have safety, as I've been saying. So I told a lot of stories. I told them about my own life and how I gradually came into consciousness. And then, you know, a lot of the people I worked with in therapy, how would, in my relationship with them, to find the safety to come into consciousness. Because I will offer them the relationship that they've never had with anybody else. It'll be unconditional. It'll be empowering. It'll be loving, it'll be compassionate, it'll have deep understanding, and it'll really empower. And, and, but I can only do that with another if I have that with myself. And so coming into a relationship with myself is bringing out of hiding all the qualities that I mentioned that the toddler has that I hid as a child, and then slowly but surely bringing them out of hiding. Because the threats, you know, the threats that occur in childhood... They don't decrease when we go to school. They increase. And then when you go out into the workplace, do you think they increase or decrease? They increase. Mm-hmm. And when you go out and play sports, do they increase or decrease? They increase. So psychoanalysis missed that point. The threats don't just exist in childhood. Threats exist everywhere. And therefore, if I'm trying to find my sea of tranquility and really get to know myself, you know, Alice Socrates, as you said, And I'm trying to find that sea of tranquility within me. But every day I'm going out into the ocean of other people's defences and violations. Because every defence is unconsciously a violation. Remember, defence is there to protect, but it always has a violating effect. If I'm aggressive, of course I'm a threat to you. But if I'm passive, I'm also a threat to you. If I'm manipulative, I'm also a threat to you. But my purpose of manipulation is to try and get some recognition in this world. It is not there to hurt you, but of course that's what will... That's, that effect will be there. Um, so getting to know oneself is a real examination and starting from the very early years right up. And, and it's good even starting the present. And how do you operate now? It's like, you know, when I, I came out of the monastery when I was 25 years of age, I was very depressed, I was very suicidal. I hated my physical self. I had no sense of my sexual self. One belief I had was around my intellect. Um, I was a loner. I avoided people. Um, if anybody needed my help, I'd bend over backwards to do it for them. And there were a whole lot of complexes going on there. I was doing them quite unconsciously. Um, but then gradually, some good friendships helped, by the way. Um, gave me a sense that, oh, my God, you know... Um, there's more to me than I realise. And then when I started doing psychology, I did a psychology full-time for eight years, I really began to get a glimpse of my true nature and my true individuality. And slowly, and it's a long journey, you know, Stanislavski, the Russian poet, puts it so well, the longest and most exciting journey is the journey inwards. Um, but it's an exciting one. Painful as well, because you touch into the pain. Um, but if you don't do the journey, you're in pain your whole of, the whole of your life. 
So it's a real gradual realization of all that you hid, gradually bringing it out into uh, action again, or into consciousness. Does that explain that? It definitely does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. In, a, in a nutshell, it's said that the key to a healthy relationship is authentic, mature communication. Like, what stops us from communicating authentically, Tony? And like, how can we create more authenticity okay. in our relationships? Okay. So remember, there's no prescription. Mm. You know, it, it's. It, I can't say. Well, you know, be sure you send an eye message because you know, an eye <laughs> message means you only talk about yourself, right? And mm. a you message is where you talk about somebody else. You're never there for me, right? That's because if I say that to you, what will you do? You're never there, right? You react. You've got to react, right? Exactly, yeah. And the word react is an anagram for create, right? Mm. You create a response because you're under threat. Whereas if I say to you, um, can, I, can I make a request for you to be on time for our next appointment? Now, how do you feel? You feel I, I feel understood. You feel understood, right? And you feel respected, right? Mm. Now, I can only do that if I have that relationship with myself we've been talking about. If I don't, I'll automatically use the you message. You're never there for me. You never listen. You're always gone. You, I, I know you don't like me. I know you don't want me. All the you messages go out. And, of course, all the you messages are a mirror back. I don't, I'm not wanting myself right. I'm not listening to myself. I'm not there for myself. And the mirror is back for me. So there's no wrong communication. Communication of a nigh nature, you know, of an authentic real nature, shows that you've come in to knowing yourself. Communication of a conflictual, what I call you nature, right? You, 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 right? Mirrors back, I have work to do on myself. And the conflict then, like we talked about earlier on, the conflict in the relationship is now the opportunity for each to reflect on their own inner worlds, right? And see what have we brought to this relationship um, and what, and that has created the conflict and how can we support each other now to come into our independence? and so that we bring our fullness to each other. The German poet, uh, Reicher, what's from Reicher? Puts it very well. Um, Marriage consists in this, where each appoints the other the guardian of their solitude. It's good, isn't it? Very good, actually, yeah. And so if I bring my solitude to you, we'll have a good relationship. If I bring my emptiness to you, our relationship is inevitably going into conflict and a happy conflict because the conflict is an opportunity to try and wake me up and get the help I need to begin to examine my life. And like it was at times, and you mentioned it there, Tony, as well, about like we take things personally when someone criticizes yeah. or judges us or yeah. whatnot. Yeah. Do you think there is a way to, like, to have a healthy and, say, mature response if someone does that? Well, you see... One of the things I say in the book, right, mm. is that no matter what another person says, thinks or does, is 100% about them. Mm. There's not even 1% of it about you. Now, you see, if you can see that you're separate, and so if another person says, uh, you really let me down there, right, now, that's all about them. Now, if I personalise it, oh, God, I'm so wrong, I, I shouldn't have done that, I should have done that, and I'm appeasing and pleasing, I haven't heard you at all, actually. But I personalise it because who am I letting down now? Myself. I'm letting down myself. Mm. And there's my opportunity. If I'm separate and you say to me, you know, oh, you really let me down there, I'd say, oh, tell me, how is it that I let you down? I'd put it back to you, kindly. And I, I want to hear, oh, well, you never did this. Well, 
And so what is it that you need now? So if I can meet it, I will. If I can't, I'll let you know. But I'm not personalizing it. I've been separate, I've been independent. But I'm interested in hearing, how do you feel I let you down? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Yeah, the how question is a great question. Yeah, right? yeah. You know, you know, I mean, if, if somebody said, oh, you're always late, like I was late today, right? You're always late. And I'd, and I'd say, you know, well, how is it that you're saying that? Well, you know, I, 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 I've been here, and every, each time I somehow I'm meeting you, you're always late. And then I say, well, what is your need? Well, then my need is for you to be on time. Well, I said, I, I always make the effort to be on time, but I hear your need. Can I ask you that? How is it that you wait? What are you waiting for? <laughs> why, why don't you go about your business and send me a text and say, Tony, I've waited 10 minutes, and I don't want to wait any longer? Yeah, I'll, I'll try, definitely try that one next time. Do, uh, yeah, <laughs> try that with me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, like you always, you also mention your book, Tony, that when we own what, we're, what arises in us, yes. there's an automatic shift from the you message to the I message. Yes, yeah, like, yeah. like, what do you mean by this? And like, how can we create this in our relationships? It's the exact opposite of what we were saying there. What another person says, thinks, and does is 100 percent about them. Whatever it arises in me is about me. It's for me, and it belongs to me. And so if I'm feeling, you know, um, let's say I'm feeling very tired, that belongs to me, right? And I'll say, what do I need to do about that tiredness? And so I'll take some action to take care of myself. Now, if I don't own the tiredness, I'll I'll say to her, oh, I'm so exhausted, I'm so worn out, right? And I'm waiting for somebody else to look after me. And I'm doing that unconsciously now. So I'm not owning what arises in me. And that happens very, very often. I was talking to a man yesterday, and he said when he goes home from work and he's up to high door, but he just, you know, has a, spills it out all onto his wife, doesn't check about how was she joined today, what happened to her day. He just loads her with it, right? And he's beginning to see it now, that if, he, if he's coming home with, up to high door about work, he needs to do something about it uh, and take some action around it rather than dumping it on his wife, right? But he was doing it unconsciously. So what another person says and thinks and feels is 100% about them. What I think and feel and, and do is 100% about me. Now we can have a relationship. <laughs> That's the starting point. It's <laughs> a major starting point, yeah. right? As you, I think you mentioned it already there, Tony, but like a big part of relationships is the relationship between a man and a woman. Yeah. You know, and... So we're all familiar with the book um, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus by John Gray. Right. Like, is it true that men and women communicate differently? And if so, how? Well, you see, I, I, I mean, I think that <clears throat> we're all human beings. I think that um, we're still wearing boys different to girls. But if we wear boys as humans and girls as humans, then there wouldn't be huge differences, right? But you see, remember, we, we, we wear girls, generally speaking now, into... In more into their heart qualities, right, and into the caring qualities. And we wear boys more into the head qualities. But as a man, I need my masculine side, which is my head side, and I need my feminine side, which is my heart side. Now I'm fully complete. And we need to begin to look at, are we wearing boys and girls fully so that their masculine side is being nurtured and their feminine side is being nurtured so they come into completeness as as a human being gender is not does not determine the behaviors that we develop 
it is the kind of nurturing we get. And, you know, it's not, a, it's not a nature nurture debate. It is about how is nature nurtured. And with, generally with boys, their masculine sign was more nurtured rather than their feminine, whereas both need to be nurtured. And with girls then, their feminine side was more nurtured rather than their masculine. Now, certainly women, they're coming much more into masculine, feminine. Not, I mean, there's still a lot of work to be done there. But men are still struggling with coming into the feminine side, the heart side. And you go up to the cardiac boards and hospitals, and what do you see? Yeah, the majority of patients are men. They're men, and what age? Probably in their 50s, possibly. Yeah, exactly, early 50s. Now, the human human heart can last for 100 years. Men can destroy it in 40 to 50 years. Amazing, isn't it? Amazing, actually, yeah. And, you know, they get all these bypasses. And, of course, what do they do with their feelings? Bottle them. They bypass them. Bypass them, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's like Spaghetti Junction. They very start to think to bypass their feelings. And then the feelings will harden. And they're called the hardening of the arteries because it's not a flow. You, you know, everything, every emotion, every thought is registered in your body, in, in the blood flow, in the chemistry, in the electri- electri- electrical activity. And if I'm in flow emotionally, my body will be in flow. If I'm blocked emotionally, my body now will get blocked. And we know that now. There's a very good new book out. There's a real change occurring in medicine from a kind of symptomatic medicine to what we call narrative medicine. Because every illness has a history, but every history of an illness has a story. Right? Um, and so there's a quite, quite a shift now towards um, looking at the story. That, in other words, that if a person develops heart disease, it certainly look after a heart. You know, they may have to get stents or pacemakers or whatever. But will you also look after their story? and check how are they emotionally because if you don't then they're much more likely to get a reoccurrence much more quickly and so that's a nice shift that's occurring same as happening in psychiatry just don't look at you know the depression or the paranoia or the obsessive behaviors will you please look at narrative and story as well because when you do you see oh my god this behavior makes total sense Mm. it's not a madness at all yeah, I it's probably like looking at the person from a holistic perspective exactly, as well. Exactly. That. Yeah. Exactly. That. Yeah. Yeah. And like, so what? Like, what is your, in your own opinion, Tony? Like, the secret of good communication between, say, a man and a woman. The secret of good, good communication. <laughs> exactly. If there is a secret. <laughs> well, the, the secret. Do you know, because you see some relationships they blossom. Do you know, they and do. you probably have seen some relationships, and they're like amazing relationships. Yeah. And other relationships, like no, they're, they're not so healthy. Well, because yeah. there's so much, so many walls between them. Right? That's right. Yeah. A, re- a relationship blossoms again. Communication is not about getting through to another. Communication is always about getting through to yourself. If you get through to yourself, right then when you communicate to the other, you'll communicate from a separate, independent place, and you'll communicate with eye messages. Um, and what you see in yourself, in terms of your fullness and completeness, you'll see in the other. And so the relationship will blossom, right? So, but if I'm not... If I think communication is about getting through to the other, and you... Are you hearing me now? Am I getting through to you? That's control, sure. And what happens with the other person when I say that? They're going to defence. Whereas when saying, well, this is what I believe and this is how I see things and th- this is what I'm feeling right now. How's that for you? Now, you see, it's a level playing field there. I'm not trying to push anything. I'm not trying to persuade you. I'm not trying to control you. 
I'm not bottling up what I'm feeling. I'm, I'm, I'm being authentic in expression. And now the relationship will, will blossom. There's no threat now, you see. Mm. And that's the point. That's a good way of putting it, actually. You know, a relationship will blossom when there's an absence of threat. And there can only be an absence of threat when I've got true to myself, when I've got to know myself, when I'm occupying the, those lovely words of John O'Donoghue, when I'm inhabiting my own individuality, when I belong to myself. And when you reach that place of belonging to yourself, John O'Donoghue describes it so well. That's not a politician, by the way. But he talks about that solid interiority from which nobody can distance, exile, diminish, or lessen your presence in any way. He's absolutely right. Because when I'm separate, then I see everything what the other person does and says is about them. And I'm curious about it, but I don't personalise it. You also talk about interruptions in your in your book as well, Tony, in relationships. Yes. Like, tell me, Tony, like, what are interruptions, yeah. and is there a way we can reduce them in our yeah, relationships? It's my new book as well, because I, I I wanted to expand that an awful lot more, um, and I, I, the new book's going to be called "The Power of Relationships Interrupted." Inter- what interrupts relationships? Illness, uh, aggression, passivity, manipulation, control, um, violence. Um, expectations jealousy possessiveness uh, envy enmeshment with family of origin you haven't flown to nest so you're spending more time down your family of origin than you are in your marriage um, addictions addictions to alcohol addictions to food addictions to work which is major among men addictions to success there are multiple um, interruptions to relationships but every interruption remember what we're saying is opportunity. Mm. And is there a way to reduce them then in a relationship? Obviously, you know, we recognise there's a... Say you have an issue with work, you have some person, one person working a lot, another person might have an addiction to exercise or something yeah, along yeah. those lines. And it, let's say if I'm addicted to work. Yeah. Mm. So the work has become my substitute way of being seen in this world. I'm not seen for myself, so my work is the way I get seen. Um, and a lot of men, you know, when they retire from work, you know that a high percentage of them die quite soon after retirement. That's right, yeah. Now, they tell me, now, obviously, before they die, right, <laughs> they tell me I have nothing left to live for. And what they show me very clearly, they have no sense of their own life. Life is within me. Work is not my life. Life is my nature. It's my individuality. Aliveness is within me. If I think aliveness is on something out there, I have a serious addiction. And so I don't want, you know, when, when, when people come to me with addictions, or addiction to work or alcohol, or drug, I don't want to take their addiction away from them. Because addiction, again, come back to your use of words, addiction, addiction means story. Addiction, speaking. Right. And every addiction speaks to me. And it speaks to me how this person survived by getting seen and being visible through work in their lives. And my job then is not to take their addiction away from them, but to get behind their addiction and help them to be seen for themselves. As they begin to see themselves, what happens to their addiction to work? It falls away. It falls away. Now you have it. So I never touch a defence. I never touch the wall. What I want to do is get behind the wall and see what is hidden and what wants to emerge. And so for me, it's never about changing. It's always about emerging. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. About emerging, yeah, it's yeah, fantastic. Yeah. And like, so one of the points you seem to strongly ins- express in your book as well, Tony, is that systems such as like work, religions, governments, communities do not hurt or empower people. 
but in, individuals do. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, w- what do you mean by this, yeah, Tony? Yeah, we mentioned that mm. earlier on a bit. That's right, yeah. That, you know, the... It was not the banks that screwed us, right? <laughs> it was not the church that abused children, right? It, it, it was n- it's, it's not schools that kind of interrupt children's learning. It is always individuals, individual priests, right, in the church, individual bankers and financial, other financial persons in the, in the whole financial sector. Because what happened in the banks was the depersonalization, the suffocation of individuality, um, the whole target-fixated mentality, profits before people, all quite unconsciously done. But it was done by individuals, not by... The system can't do anything. Like I was saying earlier, mm. the system is, I, has no brain, has no heart. How can I talk to it? So it always comes down to individuals, whether it's individuals within the church or individuals within the workplace or individuals within government. Let's look at what happened in government and the corruption that occurred there. But it was not the government that was corrupt. It was individuals. There were some very good politicians and some very good priests and some very good you know, teachers in schools um, and who really kind of, you know, how to put it, empowered children. But there were also those teachers who came in unconsciously with their own unresolved issues, with their own unexamined lives. And that's true with politicians and that's true, you know, with clergy. And if they do, they're going to interrupt be a source of interruption than the lives of others, particularly when these people are dependent on them. Yeah. And they, is there a, a solution <coughs> to that, Tony? Is there yeah. a, to we need leaders with consciousness, right? <laughs> yeah, the most important leaders in, in our society are parents. They are the most important. They are the most power. And we don't prepare them at all for it. We, you know, parenting is rocket science. It, it is something that you really need to sit down and examine what are all the the actions that are needed, what is the knowing understanding that is needed. It is not instinctual because human beings have changed amazingly. We are the only species, right, you know, that keep expanding, keep developing all the time. All of the species are doing the same thing they did 10,000, 10 billion years ago, right? Human beings are going to continue. We are, we are creators and we're going to continue to create all the time. And we need to stay up. Parents and teachers need to stay up with the times and about what children need, but principally what they, parents need and teachers and other leaders, the opportunity to get to know themselves. Because when they come into that, you know, the fullness of themselves, then they see the fullness of the child. If I see myself as useless, I won't see my child's intelligence. Or what I might do is try to get that child to be top of the class because I was never there. So I project then my own wants onto the child. So, yeah, so it, 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 it comes back again. We need, we need, there's a book I have called Leadership of Consciousness. We need conscious leaders, and the most important leaders in my book are parents, then teachers, then politicians, then leaders in workplaces. And, and there is a shift. There is a shift towards all of these leaders beginning to examine their lives. Great, Tony. You know, so you, they say in a, in a relationship, like, you know, it can be quite difficult or challenging to leave when you're in the wrong relationship. When is it a good time to leave? Yeah. Um, I always say to people, you know, should, the first marriage needs to be to yourself. Have you married yourself? And then if, if you, most people haven't married themselves before they get into marriage, and then very often the marriage will go into conflict. Before they leave or choose to leave, I always say to them, will you get into the marriage with yourself first? And when you feel you've married yourself, you're at home with yourself, you really now 
have that couple relationship with yourself. You are everything you would have wanted your partner to be for yourself. Now you're in a place to examine whether I want to stay in this relationship or not. If you leave when you haven't come into that marriage with yourself, and then you go, you just, well, I'm out of here, right? And you go on then, you're much more likely to bring the same baggage into the next relationship, the same unconscious issues. And like I was saying that to you, 80% of second marriages break down in America. I'm not sure what the statistics for Ireland are. Now, the other thing, obviously, if you're in a marriage where there's great danger, and, and, and so many, well, particularly, well, men and women, women in particular, I suppose, who have stayed in very dangerous places because they didn't have the support to, to, move, to move out, right? But if you're in great danger, please, you know, you need to get out of there, right, and, and find a, a safe haven and begin then to find your life from that place. But most marriages are where you can work on your relationship with yourself, privately and quietly. Remember, communication is about getting true to yourself. And then when you begin to feel your power, now you're in a place to say and, and express very clearly to your partner, what I would like in this relationship is this, this, and this, and that. How does that feel? Oh, I don't want anything to do with that. Well, then say, I hear that. So this is what the kind of relationship I would like. So I'm moving on. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine it's a very empowering place to be. Oh, it's very empowering. Yeah. yeah. And we, we need to have engagement parties, parties for ourselves, right, and marriages for ourselves. I always say the first ring on your fingers needs to be with yourself. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> and, like, in life, oftentimes that we can confuse the person with the behaviour, yeah. Tony. It's the no. most common mistake, though. It is, it is the most common mistake. And D.H. Lawrence puts that so well. He talks about the endless repetition of the mistake. And the mistake he's talking about is confusing the person with a behaviour or, or an accomplishment or an achievement. I am not my behaviour. I am not my achievements, right? I'm not my books. I'm not my profession. I enjoy these as creative plays, but they don't measure my worth or my value. If, 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 if I think to do, I have an addiction then to success or addiction to books or addiction to be seen by others, and now I'm always anxious. Whereas if I see that love is for person, right? Praise and encouragement is for behavior, but don't confuse the two. If you confuse them, then the person goes into hiding and the behavior now becomes the addiction to try and get recognition in this world. It is the most common mistake of all. Unconditional love corresponds to the deepest longing, not only of every child, but of every adult. And unconditional love means, I love you for your person and for your presence for your individuality, for your unrepeatable uh, presence in this world. That's what I love you for. Your behaviour, we can talk about, right? But I do, nev- I do never want to, you know, throw the baby with the bathwater, that if there's a difficult behaviour, I'll send an eye message about it, and I'll have boundaries around it. But I won't lose my relationship with you because of it. Yeah, and uh, what comes to mind for me, Tony, as well, is that, that when we do these things, not to have an attachment what we're doing yeah 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 it's a separateness issue again. yeah if i'm attached to what i'm doing then again i have an enmeshment mm. i'm not free i'm not independent and therefore I, that's the addiction again remember you can have what i call substance addictions like obviously food and drink and drugs but process addictions are even more serious and that's you know addictions to work addiction to success 
addictions to what other people think is probably one of the major addictions. Addiction to being in a relationship. I can't do without a relationship. Addiction to having a child. I'm nothing if I don't have a child. So many women have said that to me. And I said, you're everything, whether you have a child or not. But I can understand where that's coming from. Because somehow you confuse your presence with, with having a child. And is there a reason why individuals get into the place of becoming addicted? Yeah, it all comes from your childhood experiences. It all comes from where you, where you see, think, think of the toddler again. If the toddler is seen for his amazing, expressive, unique, individual, daredevil, fearless self, he will keep those qualities. And when he comes into adulthood, he'll be conscious. But you see, if those qualities are not seen because the adults who he interacts with don't see them for themselves, then the, this, the toddler has to hide them. But then he has to find some way of getting seen. So maybe he becomes a good boy, like I became the good boy. He becomes a carer, like I did. Or I become so on top of the class, so I get my recognition. Or I'm on the winning team, right? Or I'm the clown. I'm the funny guy. Or I'm the one who creates trouble all the time. I find a way to be seen. And that all starts in our early childhood and continues then and increases as we go out into the wider world. And only when we come into consciousness will things now begin to change, well, emerge, coming back to the, what we talked about. Yeah. yeah. You say that when a person has inner security that they will not be reactive to the other person's behaviour. No, no, no. Like, what do you mean by that? Well, you see, when I'm secure within myself, I'll automatically hear what the other person is saying as being 100% about them. I won't personalise one dot of it. So, you know, if, you know, sometimes when I'm lecturing, some people will say, oh, what you're talking about is a whole lot of rubbish, right? Now, there was a time when I would have personalised that, but now I'll say, I'm interested in what you're saying. Tell me, how is this what I'm saying is rubbish for you? No, I haven't. I'm secure. I'm separate. I'm independent. But I'm interested in this person's opinion. How is it that he thinks what I'm saying is rubbish? I'm not personalising now. And now I get an opportunity to know him. Whereas if I react to him when and say, well, kind of, how many years of psychology have you done? If I get cynical or sarcastic, I've now personalised it. And I, I missed the opportunity to get to know him. And I also missed the opportunity to get to know myself more because I don't realise that I now have gone into behind a wall. If I become conscious, now I'll see, oh, God, how was it I personalised his behaviour? Is it that I don't believe enough in myself? And you're back to the inner security issue now. So... And is there a way to, to learn that, Tony? Is there, like, you know, if people have a pattern of, say, reacting or responding in the, in the other way? Like? If I personalise, it's, it's, it's a defence, it's a wall, mm. it's an unconscious development that I created probably in the first three years of life and then continue to increase. I'll only become conscious if it's a relationship that sends us into hiding. It is a relationship that brings us out of hiding. The relationships that send us into hiding are of an unconscious defensive nature. It's a, it's a wall, right? You're, meet, you're hitting a wall. The child is hitting a wall, right? The relationship that will bring you out of hiding is a, is a relationship that creates a bridge. Not a wall, but a bridge. And the bridge is that I see you for yourself. I'm really interested in you. Uh, it's like that young man I was saying to that, you're my hero, right? He's never heard that from anybody, right? Um, and I believe in him. And an 18-year-old said that to me so well sometime last year. He said, Tony, belief is everything. And I said, I think love comes first, but belief is a close second. And by the very fact that he said it to me, he could see that I was believing in him, right? And so I create a relationship then of a very empowering, unconditional nature, 
And as they experience that, slowly but surely, they come out of hiding. And so relationship of, of a defensive nature sends you into hiding, and relationship of an open, unconditional nature helps you to come out of hiding now. Makes sense, doesn't it? Completely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it really does. For any of our listeners out there, like, would you have any like, practical tips in how to have the more mature, healthy relationships? I know you can sum it up in words. There's, there's no prescription. There's no right. prescription. But it's about consciousness, it, right? It's about consciousness. Yeah. And is there, like, if a person is, for example, in a place where they have a lot of conflict in their life or yeah. not, they don't have many healthy relationships, yeah. is there a first step or a first series of steps that they could take? I mean, certainly, you know, at the conference over the weekend, what, what really emerged, right? Remember I said conflict is opportunity. But support is also very necessary. And if you're really experiencing a lot of trauma and upset and unhappiness, seek support. It can be a friend. Sometimes it can be a book. Sometimes it can be a support group. Sometimes it may need to be a psychotherapist or a psychoanalyst. But seek support. And, and very often you may not get support you know, within the family you came from because they're all... They're all kind of defended, right? You may have to go beyond the family to find support. And like I said, some very good friends helped me in my, my, in my mid-twenties um, and, and it started me on a journey. So my bottom line is seek support because there is support out there, but you may have to search a bit for it, but it's there. Yeah, and I suppose it's about getting the right support as well, isn't it? It's about getting a support that empowers, mm. not a support that rescues. Mm. If I rescue you, I'm drowning you, right? You understand that because yeah, I'm not compl- empowering you. Right? Yeah, completely. And I'm drowning myself as well because I'm spending my, my addiction is to rescuing others. And that's so common out there. So be sure it's a support that empowers, that listens, right? That encourages, that believes, that is unconditional and that really helps you to do things for yourself. Thanks so much, Tony. Thanks, Charles. Right, brilliant. Thank so you. look, thanks so much coming, for coming in today, Tony. I, I really, really enjoyed chatting with you and right, I know I've you. learned a lot as well. Right. And if any of our listeners want to know more about Tony's work, you can check out his website on www.tonyhumphreys.ie. Uh, thanks again, Tony. Thanks, Michael.